Hi, thanks for joining us online. We're glad that you've chosen to access this message. It's so encouraging to know that God is using the ministry of Portico Community Church to touch the hearts and lives of people all across the world. If you have a story to share or a prayer request, we would love to hear from you at info at porticocanada.ca. To support our ministry, you can donate online by clicking on the Donate button at the top right of your screen. Once again, we're so glad that you've joined us. It's our prayer that this message from God's Word will deeply impact your life. All right, good morning, Portico. I want to say thank you to everybody that's been helping us with our food bank drive. It's been fantastic. Pastor Dwayne was asking you if you've been to One Hope. Here's a little bit of an alert. Those of you, just a real quick show of hands, how many have been there? One Hope already? All right, so you already understand that when you go home, you go into the food pantry, you don't bring the lima beans and the corn niblets, right? You got that one? If you don't know what that's about, you got to come tonight. It's a great night. Well, get your Bibles. We're going to jump right in. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 2. We're in a series called True North, and we're going to be looking at the Christmas story. And while familiar in many ways, we want to look at some of the characters of the story and take it in a slightly different angle. Because here's what we understand. Christmas is God's full revelation of truth through His Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus came in flesh, human body, human form, and He is the fullness of truth. Now, last Sunday, you had an opportunity as our communicators were sharing across our campuses. They were sharing with us how we live in a world, and we hear this phrase, relative truth, so much. And that's basically where people are interpreting that language to say, well, what's true for you is not necessarily true for me. So please don't impose your truth on me, and I won't impose my truth on you. We'll all get along together. And it's almost this loss of the sense of absolute truth. And yet we stand here and we come together today unashamedly and unapologetically to proclaim that we believe Jesus is God's perfect expression of truth. And he came so that we might have life and we might have it to the full. So that's why we want to share that. In fact, the truth of it is, you need to go back. If you missed last week's message, you can go to our website or our app. And our communicators did a great job. And no matter what campus you're at, and those of you that are online, you can access this. uh, You can listen in and hear the setup of the message for the series. Because they talked about the Magi. And they looked at the Magi, but more importantly, they looked behind the story to go, the fact that they perceived truth was there and they realized truth existed outside of themselves, that truth has always existed, and the source of that truth will surprise you. Those are some of the touch points that were in that message, and it's really worth your time to go back and have a look at it. Now, today we're going to have a little bit of fun. Is that okay? Okay, going to preach this way. Today we're going to have a little bit, no, today we're going to have a little bit of fun. We're going to talk about a topic that often doesn't come out of the narrative that we would normally look at. We're going to talk about truth, but I want to come at it from this side. We're going to talk about twisting the truth. Have you ever been guilty of twisting the truth? Show of hands. You're in church. All right, we're going to find out. Maybe I've got to help you prime the pump, right? This might help you a little bit because... I think all of us at some point have been guilty of twisting the truth. And maybe you just can't remember. That's why. So let me help you a little bit right now. When Christmas comes, and it's coming real quick, right? When your relatives arrive at your house and you open the door and you say, it's so nice to see you. (laughs) Oh, you know where I'm going. Are you telling the truth? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's your mother-in-law, John. Yeah, 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 I know. Are you telling the truth? Here's another one. Yes, okay. We got two people so far telling the truth in the room. Here's the other one. When you get that Christmas gift and it's in your hand 
and you start, yeah, you know where this is going, and you open that up, and you're looking at it, and you just look at them and you go, oh, you shouldn't have. (laughs) Did you really mean to say, oh, you shouldn't have? It's all about language, tone, and intonation, isn't it? Sometimes we twist the truth. Gentlemen, if you're married, just here's a caution. If your wife is looking in a full-length mirror and she goes sideways on the profile and she goes, does it look to you like I'm gaining weight? There's no good answer. There's no version of truth that's going to get you out of danger zone. You're better off to just say, honey, the coffee's ready. I'm going to go get you a cup of coffee. Leave that one alone. That's going to get you deep, deep in trouble. Here's what we do know. We twist the truth for all kinds of different reasons. Sometimes we want to leverage it out of power. Sometimes we do it out of fear. Sometimes we do it out of uncertainty. There's all types of reasons why we twist the truth. But I don't know if you've ever realized that the actual Christmas story gives us a little bit of insight into an individual who was a master at twisting the truth. And his name was Herod. Now, Herod is often viewed as sort of a supporting cast member because the story's about Jesus, and we focus on Jesus and Bethlehem and the reason Jesus came, and rightly so. But I love the character of Herod because he allows me to learn something about human nature at a deeper level, particularly when it comes to this issue of truth. And he rarely allowed truth to pass through his hands, and when it did pass through his hands... It was often tainted by the way he left us. So get your Bibles. Let's go to Matthew chapter 2. And here's what we read. So in verse 1, it starts off this way. It says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem, and they asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We, We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. And when Herod heard this, he was disturbed in all Jerusalem with him. And when he called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem and Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly, and he found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, and he said, Now go and search carefully for the child. And as soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go, and I may worship him. Now there's all kinds of intrigue. There's a subplot in the story here, and I want to unpack it for you. So get your notes out. You can do it on your app. You can do it through the bulletin. We have a little outline for you. I want to talk about this whole area of twisting the truth, particularly from the side. I want to give you three cautions. Because all of us are going to have the privilege of dealing with the truth every day. Every day we have to make a choice about how we handle truth. So I want to give you three cautions from the life of Herod when it comes to this. You ready to go? All right, we're about up to the second row now. Interactive. Ready to go? There you go. I just need to know you're still with me. All right, number one, write it down in your notes. Beware of misinterpreting the truth. Beware of misinterpreting the truth. Herod misinterpreted the purposes of God. Here, I want to read it for you in verse 3. Keep your Bibles open, Matthew chapter 2. It says, when Herod heard this, he was disturbed. When he heard what? Well, the Magi came and they arrived in the city of Jerusalem, right? 
So we know the familiar story, but here I want to go back and set up the the context a little again for us. You have these dignitaries, these individuals who have researched and have been preparing themselves, and they arrive in the capital city of then Judea, and they come to Jerusalem. And where would you go if you're on the search for a new king? You'll go to the current king. Because when they show up, they go, where's the one who was born king of the Jews? Now, we know the rest of the story. So we're able to look back and we filter the entire thing through our lens of understanding. Herod didn't have the insight that we had. Because in those days and times, you would have expected, if you're looking for the one to be born king of the Jews, you would have certainly thought, he must be the next in line of the current king. So you show up in Jerusalem and you ask the current king, hey, where's the one born king of the Jews? What they failed to realize is that Herod was an Edomite. He was placed there by Rome. So he was serving as a puppet in the hands of a foreign power and a foreign dignitary, and he was overseeing these people. And immediately he understood something, that a new king could threaten the people's allegiance. It would undermine his own position of trust with Rome. And so when you hear truth, it's easy to see why Herod could so quickly misinterpret it. So remember, Herod's concern was understandable. Because someone who makes the rightful claim to the throne would, by Herod, become an immediate threat. So rather than seeing what the opportunity was, Herod could only see what he needed to control. And he misinterpreted the very message because they brought the message and they asked, where is this one who's going to be born king of the Jews? And if he would have listened to the scribes and the Pharisees and the scholars and understood that what God was doing was fulfilling the prophetic declarations from years and ancient years past... Herod would have been a part of this wonderful big story that God was unfolding. But he unfolded the story in his own context, and he interpreted it, and he defined it through his own lens of understanding. Now catch this carefully. When you attempt to define truth from your vantage point, there's always a high probability that you're going to misinterpret the truth. You don't take the fuller story into consideration. Let me illustrate for you. I was about eight or nine years old. You guys know enough of my background. You could probably write my biography for me. But I was an, I was an angel. I was like this innocent child. You know that, right? You're all on my side. I, I was often in trouble, I think, more than I was not in trouble. That's probably more accurate. And I was eight or nine years old at the time, and I distinctly remember I came home from school one day, And I had been in trouble that morning, but I knew that my parents hadn't heard about it yet, and so I thought I was was still in good ground. And I got home, and my mom was at home, and I walked in. She was in the kitchen, and as she was standing there, she looked at me, and she said, your dad is looking for you. And I thought, how is that possible? How do these people find out about this stuff before I've even told them anything? Now, here's the truth statement. She said, your dad is looking for you. Everybody with me? So I knew... She made a truth statement. I misinterpreted the truth statement to mean my life is over. (laughs) If your dad's looking for you and you're eight or nine years old, that's never a good sign, right? Wouldn't you agree with me? So when she told me that, I made my way back to school, and she had warned me. Dad was looking for me. So I made my way back to school, and I saw my dad's car, and he was driving through our little small town, southern Alberta. He was driving down a side street. We had this blue car. So I raced up by this little grocery store, and I watched as the blue car drove by the end of the street, and I kept back out of the way. My dad's looking down the alleyway this way, and he's looking down the alleyway that way, and I thought, wow, I've outfoxed my dad. And then I ran up to the next corner, and I watched him turn down that street. So I went scooting down the alleyway, and I watched him drive the other way. We're playing cat and mouse, and I'm having a little bit of fun. I'm only prolonging the time until my imminent death. That's what I was doing. You know that, right? 
So we're playing this game of cat and mouse, and eventually dad drove down the other street, and then I saw him drive off out of town, and I thought, wow, I am so smart. Look what I did. At my age, I outwitted my father. And I went off to school, finished school, got got back from school, and I walked into the house, and mom was surprised to see me. She said, what are you doing here? I guess she thought dad was going to kill me. But uh, she said, what are you doing here? Your dad was looking for you. That was the true statement. And I said, yeah, I know. I I said, "I, I didn't see him. I did, but I didn't, you know what I mean. She goes, oh, that's too bad. And I said, why? She said, well, your dad got a phone call, and he needed to go into the city today, and he thought it would be nice if he took you on the trip with him. Oh, yeah, seriously. I was like devastated. Are you kidding me? See, I interpreted, I misinterpreted the true statements. And when I heard her say, Dad's looking for you, I put it into the lens of my understanding. When Herod heard the Magi say, where is the one born king of the Jews? He misinterpreted that statement to think that it was a threat against his own dynasty rather than seeing that what God was doing is setting up something powerful. Friends, it happens in our life all the time, doesn't it? Somebody comes home, you come home from work one day and you say, you'll never believe what my boss did to me. And immediately everybody else, we misinterpret the events of the day and we share it with people. And they become tainted by our experience. And here's a caution that I see in the life of Herod to make sure that when it comes to twisting the truth, don't misinterpret it because it directly hurts you. It will also hurt the people around you. Look what it says in Matthew chapter 2, verse 3. It said, when Herod heard this, he was disturbed. And then it added this statement. It says, and all of Jerusalem with him. Wouldn't you like to have the power that when something happens to you, everybody else is impacted by that? It did in his world. So I got thinking about this. When he misinterpreted the truth, it didn't simply affect his life. It rippled out into his whole sphere of influence. Let's let's explore this a bit. Have you ever been in a bad mood? This is a good time to be honest in church. Raise your hand. Rachel, you went up right away. Thank you for doing that. Have you ever noticed that when you're in a bad mood, it just doesn't affect you? Oh, everybody went quiet on me there. Because we think, like when we're in a bad mood, we actually think we're only affecting ourselves. Like nobody else can tell there's this fog around us. But it spills over, doesn't it? So some of you don't believe this actually happens, so I'm going to help illustrate it a little bit deeper. How many of you remember being a teenager? By the way, if you're a teenager in the room, we love you. You're amazing, amazing people. We do. Now, for those of us who have a few years to recoil here, how many of you remember being a teenager? You were perfect people, weren't you? You did nothing wrong. You loved your parents. You served in any way you possibly could. You made your bed. You cleaned your room. You did your homework. You did everything perfectly, and you were never... It's true. (laughs) Don't twist the truth. Here we are. Now, that's how I used to think of my life when I was a teenager, then I became a parent, and I raised a teenager. Oh, it's a whole different ball game. In fact, when I think about raising a teenager, I wrote it down this way. I got a whole different perspective. There's the slam doors, the bang dishes, the short, abrupt answers, the silence, the sulking, the pouting. That's just my response to him. <laughs> this, this whole thing of how our moods affect each other are powerful, aren't they? And we, we misinterpret situations, and we misinterpret truth, and just like our bad moods affect the people around us, Herod misinterpreted the truth, and it affected the people around them, and you go, wow, all of Jerusalem was troubled 
by the news. You go, why were they so troubled by the news? Were they afraid of losing Herod? No, not at all. They would have been happy to have that guy deposed. He wasn't their favorite. He wasn't their choice. He wasn't from the Davidic line. Here's what they knew. This man was cruel and ruthless. He had already murdered his wife and he'd killed two of his sons. Anybody making a claim to the throne, their life would automatically just be on death row. So they couldn't even comprehend when they heard that these wise men, these magi, come in and they ask the question, where's the one born king of the Jews? They're horrified because if any one of them asked that simple question, he could have ordered their execution instantaneously. And so if Herod's in a bad mood, Jerusalem is in a bad mood. And you see, Scripture is so poignant when it points it out, and it helps remind me that when we misinterpret truth, it doesn't just affect my life. It actually spills over into the lives of people around us. You know, Herod could have leveraged the opportunity to serve a greater good, couldn't he? He actually could have paused to listen to the truth statement that there is one born king of the Jews, and it was a prophetic declaration that was being fulfilled, and he could have been a part of God's plan. But here comes that part of us where we want to be in control, and we want to protect what we feel is ours, and so we misinterpret things, and that pain and disappointment spills over into everybody else's lives, and he lost a moment that God could have given to him, and he chose to go down the path of being self-serving and self-indulgent. Number two, when it comes to twisting the truth, beware of manipulating the truth. It just sort of builds here. See, once we misinterpret truth statements, then we get caught in this whole thing of then having to manipulate the truth now to serve into our greater plan. Look at Herod's life. It gives us some great insight. Look at Matthew chapter 2 and verse 7 and 8. And uh, look in your Bibles as I read this with you. It says, So then Herod called the Magi secretly. Now that's interesting. Let's get everybody else out of the story and let's get these guys in. So he called them secretly and he found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, and he said, Now go and search carefully for the child, and as soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. Question, did he have any intention of going to worship the child? How do you know that? Because we have the story. They didn't. So in that moment, you find this man who begins to manipulate the truth. Now that the scholars have already told him that this is a prophetic promise to the people of Israel, that there is one coming from the Davidic line who was born king of the Jews, that God is about to fulfill everything that he said is going to take place. Herod not only had misinterpreted the truth and brought all this pain into his life and the life of the people in Jerusalem, now he begins to manipulate it and he calls the Magi in and he said, listen, when is the first time you saw the star? This man was brilliant in his evil ways. Because he puts a timeline together and he goes, I know exactly what the age of this child is going to be. Nobody's going to take my throne from me. So when did you first see the star? But he plays this game. It's a guise that he's got with the Magi. And he goes, I I want to go and worship him too. So why don't you go and find him? And when you find him, you tell me about it and I'll come and worship. See, that's how we manipulate truth. He was using them like pawns in his great game because he knew something now. Now I have a period of time in which the age of the child might be identified, and I can send in my own military force, and I can eliminate any potential threat to my kingdom. His actions were dark, they were sinister, they were deeply disturbing. 
And deep down inside, we recoil with disgust at the wickedness, the sheer wickedness of this man. And something inside of us goes, somebody should have done something about it. Somebody should have stopped Herod. There should have been some kind of revolt or some kind of coup. Somebody should have opposed this man and stopped what he was about to do. And we struggle with this, but wait, 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 wait. There is something inside all of us, just like Herod, that we have this propensity to manipulate the truth. You do and I do. It's that broken, sinful nature that we have. And without Christ, we will do exactly what Herod does. We will manipulate the truth to work it to our advantage. If you don't believe me, let me share something with you. This was a survey that was done just a couple of years ago. It was done in the United Kingdom, and it was a survey about lying. They couldn't do it in Canada. We're too nice. So they decided to do it in the United Kingdom. And they did a survey, and they targeted only adults. And they thought it would be interesting to find out how many of the people that were interviewed would admit that they lied. And this is fascinating. The results came back. Only 8% of the people that were interviewed said that they had never lied. Now look around the room. Just look around the room. That's less than 1 in 10. Okay, everybody with me on the math? So when I asked you to raise your hand, have you ever twisted the truth? Some of you lied to me, and I got you on video. I recorded it today, so we know who you are now. So here's what they found, that, that only 8% of the people said that they'd never lied. So they were curious, and they wanted to go a little bit deeper. So here's what they asked people to do. This would be an interesting exercise. They said, keep a journal for two weeks. Record your conversations, everything you talk about, and everything you say. And for a two-week period, and then they wanted to come back and have a look at it. The summary of the results were quite revealing. Here's what they discovered about us as people. Most people tell two important lies every day. Hmm. Did you tell one so far? Why were you late this morning? Don't lie. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. Two important lies every day. A third, this is, again, a third of the conversations that we have, that's what people reported, a third of the conversations they have involve some form of deception. And you go, well, how would that happen? Well, that's easy. When somebody walks up to you and says, what do you think? Do I look nice today? And immediately you go, "Mm, yeah, you do. A third of our conversations involve some form of deception. Four in five lies remain undetected, and that 80% of people lied on their resumes to get a job. Wow, that's really disappointing. That means eight out of ten of us in the room, we fabricated our resumes to get the job that we have, and we've been found out. You go, well, what did they do on their resumes? There are three top lies. Lies is harsh, isn't it? That feels harsh. We embellish. Does that feel better? Okay, we manipulated the truth a little bit. How's that? There's a way to make this much more comfortable this morning. There are three ways that we manipulated, and if you did this, you don't have to raise your hand. I'm not going to ask you. But people are always curious, what do people do on their resumes? Well, we overstate our educational qualifications. We, we present ourselves with more education than we, in fact, have for the position that we're applying for. That was number one. Number two, they talked about closing the date gap. So that's the time that you had a job when you were unemployed, and then you pick up your next job. We tend to stretch the dates between the jobs so it looks like we were never unemployed. That's amazing. From the age of two, all of us were working, and we were never unemployed. Isn't that great? So we can put that on our resumes. And the third one was this, is that we overstate our skills for the job. 
So there's a whole laundry list of things, but basically it's this way. If I go to the photocopier and I photocopy something and I distribute it, I've now been involved in logistics and distribution. I'm pretty proficient at that. (laughs) And if I know how to use an app, I could be your IT specialist because I'm pretty familiar with IT and technology. So lying is our way of manipulating the truth. Isn't it interesting Jesus would speak to this? And he would say in Matthew chapter 5, verse 37, he would say, listen, let your yes be yes. And let your no be no, because if you add anything more into that, this is interesting, he goes, that comes from the evil one. So when we're tempted to manipulate the truth, like Herod, tell me where the child is so that I can go worship him too. We all have our moments where we wrestle with the truth. And we all have our situations where we're going to be tempted to manipulate the truth. And Scripture reminds us that as bearers of light, people who understand truth in Jesus Christ, that we don't manipulate it. We deal with it honestly and candidly and forthrightly. And we honor the truth. Herod gives some compelling evidence for us that we need to constantly check our motives. Are the motives that we live with when it comes to dealing with the truth, are they good? Are they honorable? Are are they trustworthy? When people are interacting with us, asking us questions, or we're in conversations with them, can they read our character? And does our character give the semblance of truth that Christ calls us to? And I think it's a powerful opportunity in the Christmas story to look at a man like Herod and realize how sinister and evil his plan was and how we don't have to choose to go down that pathway. We all have been given opportunities to deal with truth, and we can do it with integrity and with uprightness. Amen? So what a wonderful opportunity in the Christmas story to look at. Well, number three, write this down. You can misinterpret, and you can even manipulate it. And the third one is beware of mismanaging the truth. This comes in a slightly different way, so I want to explain it to you. One of my favorite movies of all time, it's called A Few Good Men. Anybody know it? Oh, man, what a movie. I can watch that again. There's there's a scene, Tom Cruise and Jack Nicholson. Tom Cruise, it's about a Marine. There's a crime that's taken place, and a Marine was killed. Tom Cruise is, is the prosecutor, so he's the military prosecutor. Jack Nicholson, he was the commanding officer of the compound where the man was killed. And he's now in the witness box in that jury scene. And there's this epic moment in the movie where they're bantering back and forth. And Tom Cruise is interviewing and interrogating Jack Nicholson. And you can feel the emotion build and you can feel the bantering build. And at one moment, Tom Cruise blurts out, I want the truth. And Jack Nicholson shouts back, No, that's not how he did it. He was better than that. Come on, give it to me. What? Yeah, that's what he did. Man, that moment in the movie just blows my mind every time I watch it because I'm sitting there and I'm like watching Tom Cruise and it's going back and forth and I think they're going to call him on contempt of court. And it's in that moment where he says, I just want the truth. And Jack Nicholson, you can't handle the truth. I thought, whoa. That's true for a lot of us. We get truth, and we're tempted to manipulate it. And we're tempted to mismanage it. And you go, well, how does it get mismanaged? It was a sobering scene in that movie where it began to uncover or unfold this trail of lies and deceit and deception, how they'd covered up the murder, and they didn't want anybody to find out about it. The difference between the movie and Herod comes into this scenario. In Herod's case... It's not that he was mismanaging the truth to cover up a murder. 
He was going to mismanage truth in order to execute a murder plot. Matthew chapter 2, verse 16, look in your Bible. Herod was furious when he realized that the wise men had outwitted him. So he sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under. When he realized the truth was there and he couldn't get away from the truth, he mismanages his access to truth and he wants to send his forces in to kill the children. You cannot paint a more bleak, evil, wholly intolerable picture of human nature than this. The only way I could even sum it up when I was putting my message together, I wrote this phrase down, while the angelic refrains of peace on earth still reverberated in the heavens, the blood of the innocent saturated the soil in Bethlehem. It's just incongruous to think about what took place there. Jesus, this long-awaited Messiah, because one man would mismanage truth. Jesus, this long-awaited Messiah, would begin his years on earth as a refugee, seeking asylum in Egypt, hoping that his parents were able to get him outside of the long reach of Herod's arm. The tragedy in Herod's story didn't have to be this way. It didn't have to be this way. He didn't have to mismanage truth to somehow preserve his power and control his destiny. He didn't have to unleash evil so that he could somehow secure what his future, what he thought his future should be. If only he would realize he didn't need to twist the truth. All you needed to do is trust the truth. Herod missed it. If you trust the truth, the Bible says the truth will what? Set you free. When you understand who Jesus is and why Jesus came, that Jesus, the fullness of God in human flesh, came. You know, we have all of this teaching and all of this talk and all of this debating about objective truth and relative truth. If people just paused for a moment and stopped and asked the question, why would God send his son? Why did Jesus come? Because God realized our human heart was so full of wickedness that sin had so destroyed our relationship with God and we couldn't do a thing about it. He goes, you can't handle the truth. But if I give you my son and he pays the price for your sin and he gives you a brand new spirit and a brand new life, then you can handle the truth because the truth will be a part of you. The old person will be gone and the new person will be alive. Friends, that's the gift of Christmas. Christmas isn't about trying to perfect my old way of life. Christmas is about laying that old way of life down and embracing the new person that God has given to me as a gift through Jesus Christ. I'm a new creation. You're a new creation because of Jesus Christ. He goes, that's how you can handle the truth. So the beautiful opportunity that we have this Christmas season is ask ourselves when it comes to the truth, are we truth twisters or are we truth trusters? The great thing is, is if we trust the truth, it'll actually change the way that we live. It'll change how people see us because now we'll be bearers of light and people will see Jesus in us. And they'll know that the words that we speak and the motives of our heart are pure and they're innocent, and they're upright, and they're godly. And they know that they see in us there's a better way to live, and our world can be a better place, not through human effort, but through a divine salvation plan that God so freely gave to all of us. Aren't you grateful that Christmas is still a living reality today? So my prayer for you this Christmas is this. If you're a follower of Jesus, live the truth and hold it with integrity. And if you're seeking 
to discover who Jesus is. Understand that there is an absolute truth. His name is Jesus Christ. He loves you. He gave his life for you so that you could experience the wonder of eternal life. And this Christmas can be your best year ever. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for the wonder of your word and the insight that can come through your scripture. We all recognize that in our brokenness, in our sinfulness, we could never achieve the life that we truly desire and we need. Only through Jesus, only through your free gift that you sent to us, can we ever fully discover what truth is and then the freedom that comes when we walk in that pathway. So I pray for all of us who are followers of Jesus. Would you help us, Holy Spirit, this week? Just remind us, may our conversations always be open, candid, full of love and faithfulness. May people never have to question our motives. May they see that our hearts are good because you have given us a new life, a new spirit. And then I pray for men and women, young people today, and maybe they've never trusted you as Lord and Savior And I pray that even today, if they say, Jesus, be the Lord and Savior, I'm saying yes to you. Take over my life. Father, show them how great their life is going to be. And your promise still remains. You said you would give us a new spirit immediately in our hearts. That can be their gift this Christmas season. And I pray it in Christ's name. Amen.